This is Pangea, and I'm your host, Jacqueline Schiff. I'm thrilled to be back for a second season of the podcast, bringing you conversations with fascinating global thinkers, just like our guest today, Christina Krohn, who is in the midst of completing the year-long Stanford NBC News Media and Global Health Fellowship. Christina graduated from McAllister College with a BA in biology and completed her medical school training at the University of Minnesota. She is a second-year internal medicine and pediatrics resident at the University of Minnesota Medical School and is taking the year off to participate in this fellowship through the end of the summer. The fellowship, which was launched in 2011, is awarded to one candidate annually with a medical background and includes training at Stanford's graduate program in journalism and placements at the World Health Organization and NBC News. The interview is coming right up. So first question, Christina, you know, I wanted to to ask a little bit about your interest and background in journalism. Obviously, from your bio, it's it's clear that you have these solid medical and global health credentials. But how did you get interested um, in journalism? That's a good question. It's one of those things that I did not anticipate doing in my life. I growing up, I really wanted to be a doctor. That was pretty clear from a young age. I was about as nerdy about it as you can get. (laughs) And I didn't really think about journalism per se. I wanted to get to know people and be able to make a difference in their lives personally and was a smart, sciencey kid. So I, I really invested in that. From a young age, I started writing on my own. I didn't write for papers or other things in particular. I just would write about whatever was happening. I just felt like that was a good way to process things. Uh, My first experience with journalism was in middle school. (laughs) So we actually had a group that wanted to do middle school news. So we built the set. I was more of a producer than uh, anything else. And it was a lot of fun. Those That group of kids I'm still friends with. None of us are kids anymore. <laughs> and we've gone to do a variety of different things. But then I didn't think about it after that. It was just sort of a fun thing that we did. And not, not something that you ever thought of as a, a profession or a professional aspiration. No, to be perfectly honest, I actually felt like I had these weird interests. I was interested in medicine. I was interested in global health. These were not the common things that other people in northern Minnesota really cared about. So sharing those interests was not something that I thought about. It wasn't like I was trying to figure out what was the hot topic and be on on point with whatever the newest thing was. That really just wasn't my style. Mm-hmm. But as I went through medical school, I would sort of write down patient stories or different things I experienced and what that meant, be it the first time that I had a patient die or those sorts of things. And So you were sort of like journaling it or was this a blog? I was journaling it and 
uh, parts of things I would put on a blog for friends and family, okay. but Pippa, all of those things, like there's no names or anytime I thought things got too specific, I sort of backed off. Mm-hmm. So always sort of trying to figure out what was the overall message with what I was writing. Even if it was journaling for myself, it was trying to figure out why was this something that was emotionally impactful? Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. And that, and I guess we can kind of see how that sort of led you to apply for the fellowship, which I believe is in its second year. Yes. Yes. So I actually had um, a couple pieces that I shared with physicians who do sort of longer term non nonfiction books, as well as one physician in Minnesota who works with NPR. And they are like, this is actually really good. You should try and see if you can actually communicate what is the news with medicine. Because a lot of what I wrote was experiences I had with palliative care, which is something that was changing and experiences I had in global health. And so they encouraged me to try and figure out if there was a way that I could really make this, the, the stories that I felt compelled to write into things that people actually wanted and needed to know about. And, and so, and that's kind of how you ended up applying for the fellowship. Exactly. Just through searching on how to combine these uh, apparently disparate interests. Bingo. I like the idea of, of trying to have a bigger impact than just on the patient who is coming into my office. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times people come in with very similar stories and it's, if you could just have a message that people actually internalize before they got to the doctor, before they got that sick, you could have a much bigger impact. I looked at like public health and there just wasn't a disease I wanted. I was a little more, I like this topic and then I like this topic. And it was ever, whatever was in the news medically was what I wanted to make sure was clear. Interesting. So, I mean, it sounds like all along you kind of had that nose for news uh, type of uh, ability, I, I suppose. More than I actually thought beforehand. <laughs> right now, in I'm at NBC at this point, working with Nancy Snyderman, and I was really surprised. I thought I would show up and I would not be able to tell what was going to be on the news, that I would be interested in something that would never make air. And my first couple weeks, every story I picked is, that's interesting. My patients would care about that. Made it on. Oh, wow. So, well, I, I guess it's very positive that you've sort of had that reinforced through this. And I would definitely love to hear a little more about working with Nancy Snyderman. But before that, I wanted to ask you, it's interesting to hear you talk about finding other physicians that were media savvy, you know, such as the person who I guess is a physician and also reports for NPR. My impression generally is that physicians on the whole tend to not be the most media savvy bunch. People like Sanjay Gupta and Atul Gawande um, are the outliers. And and in some cases, um, do, you know, Dr. Oz is a good example of this. You know, they aren't uh, well received by the traditional medical establishment. I guess my question for you is why do you think medicine – um, or the medical profession tends to respond this way to doctors who are like you interested in getting the message out. That's an excellent question. And I think things have changed in part because of people like Atul Gawande, Sanjay Gupta, Nancy Snyderman, and the, the doctor at home is John Hallberg. And he specifically does um, 
medicine through the arts and sort of what, how to include people who aren't necessarily included in, and share medical stories in a way that relate to them. Um, so looking at people who like artists and performance artists who frequently are uninsured or don't have access, how do you get access to them and how do you say things in a way that's not as sciencey and boring? Mm-hmm. So it's a really good, interesting combination. But historically, you had a time period when scientists in general did not communicate to regular people. They, it was considered really bad manners if you didn't, you know, go through all of your peer reviews and make sure that anything was as, as sciencey and selfless as possible. You think about the first vaccine, uh, that that wasn't something that they made to make money. And the moment that you have something that appears to be marketing or advertising or selling people back off from that or historically backed off from that a lot. And medicine has changed so much in the last decade. I mean, you wouldn't used to see hospital billboards being advertised, but now you do. So there's a little less of that as a whole. The other thing is, is the moment you start advertising or selling medicine, people get concerned that you're quack or you're in it for the money. You're not in it for the right reasons. You're not in it for your patients. You're not in it to actually help people take care of their health. And one of the things I found is that a lot of the people who did the best medical journalism, they had a medical background. Either they were nurses, they were doctors, et cetera. But the emphasis in their reporting Mm-hmm. was not on their opinion or their preference. The emphasis was on the patient's story, on the medical news. It wasn't about that person. And that has been interesting, sort of trying to figure out what I want to do, because I do very much want to tell those stories and not have it be about me. And that's one of the big criticisms a lot of doctors that I've worked with have of medical journalists who are physicians. It's Mm. that their being a physician is important in telling the story where really it's not. What's important is that you can understand the situation around a patient or around a person's story around a medical topic and that you can make that clear in English, not that you have whatever degree behind your name. Right, right. It's interesting also with the direction that journalism is going I think a lot of people point to sort of the rise of the personal brand and, you know, journalists having to, you know, have their own platform. And it is kind of more about the journalists. So, you know, we're sort of seeing a little a little more of that, you know, in journalism as a field. You know, I wonder if uh, physician journalists, if you, if you kind of see them moving in the same way, having to, you know, market themselves, fit them in as part of the story. I definitely see that. One of the things as I started to really write my own stories was at what point in time does being a physician actually have a difference in the story? Mm. And depending on who I was working with, I would get very different advice on that. My my first week of the fellowship, I was with the Kaiser Family Health Foundation's orientation for their health journalists. So they do an internship for recent grads or current grad students uh, in health reporting for a summer. Mm-hmm. And all of the students and, and young journalists who I talked to with that were like, 
you have to be able to write an I sentence and say, I, as a doctor, think blah, 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 because people want to know that people need to hear that. Um, that's a great way for you to get out there. And I was really hesitant to do that blogging. That's fine to have an I in there, but when is it appropriate in to insert myself in a story? It has, there has to be a real reason for me to do so as opposed to just a lot of times you write things and you are in inserting yourself in the story without saying I, or without saying this is my thought. Instead, you're giving people a, a vantage point to look at a situation. And so they still see it through your eyes, even if you aren't explicit about it. Sure. But so, I don't know about marketing. I, I'm still, I'm still going to figure that one out to, to participate in the fellowship. You, you took the year off from the University of Minnesota Medical School, um, where I guess you were in your second year as an internal medicine and pediatrics resident. So I'm curious just overall how life as a physician in training compares to life as a journalist in training. The, I think the hardest thing for me to deal with is that I do not do well sitting at a desk all day. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> It's a, so, it's a tough thing. And I, I wonder, I mean, lately it seems like there've been a ton of studies about how, you know, sitting on it for eight hours a day or whatever is so bad for your health. That's going to impact you differently as a physician. Exactly. <laughs> as a doc, it, maybe I'll be in clinic where I sit more, but even then you move from one patient to the next, you're still moving around every few minutes in the hospital. You're always on your feet. You get that last bit at the end of the day when you're trying to get all the the documentation done before you're done. That's the longest time you sit. (laughs) But it's interesting to see all the studies about how much time we actually spend not moving. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that's changed, and not just since people tried to get office jobs, but the whole computer stuff. Uh, It's something you'd think would be simple to make different. There's a couple of docs at the Mayo Clinic that specifically got treadmills at their desk. It Mm -hmm. showed that they were less productive, but overall, but were much healthier and happier, et cetera, and got the same quality of work done, which was sort of weird. But standing at a desk instead of sitting has had correlations with that as far as health as well. But it's hard to think about standing at your computer and focusing for a full day. Oh yeah. I, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more the type I think I've seen people have these little um, stationary bike type things under their desk. So that's something I'm kind of interested in. Just like keep the blood flowing in the legs from time to time. But yeah, I, c- I could not imagine standing all day. That would be tough. So another thing I wanted to, to ask you about, and this is kind of a, a specific component of, the fellowship is, um, and at this point you're you're halfway done because you're um, you're done in June, right? Right. So I actually, just have a couple months left. Yeah. Um, so you spent some time at uh, I guess at the World Health Organization's headquarters and then in a regional office in India. Correct. You know the WHO seems like one of those institutions that is so mammoth and you know inaccessible to the average person. Um, even, even the average person in the health field. So I'm curious, based on those experiences, what 
what you would say most people would be surprised to learn about um, the World Health Organization and how it operates? That's a good question. I hadn't expected this one. Um, then I'm doing my job as a journalist. Right? <laughs> True. I think I got a very unique perspective on the World Health Organization. Most of the people who interact with it interact from a medical or scientific background, interact with it on a disease topic or a specific outbreak or those sorts of things. You're working with tuberculosis in country X. And that's when you have the closest relationship with the World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. The other time is when you're trying to get statistics on something uh, what is the more maternal mortality or uh, m current malaria numbers for the entire African continent versus all of Central and South America. Those sorts of either big questions that really you're just interacting with their website or the very specific disease focus in one country. And so it's just such a different scale. I got to work at the communication center for the headquarters in Geneva, as well as a regional office. And I did a training in Laos in their country office. So I actually got to see all three levels of the organization, which mm. are vastly different. And it was, it was sort of funny because I ended up at headquarters last and the communications office, when they would have some of their meetings would then turn to me and be like, actually, we assume that it's like this, but not all of us have been in a country office in the last three months. So what had, what was this like when it got down to the country office level? Because we did the national, the international messaging, but how was that interpreted on the ground? Right. And it, it is a huge organization. The working in the regional office in India was probably the most interesting part of it because you just, you see all the interactions in a way that you don't when you get to the international level. In India, I would, would work with how do you present such and such news because we have these members in our group, not for the entire world, but because we specifically have to have India sign on to this. We specifically have to have North Korea agree to this. We have to have Burma agree to this as well as Thailand, Laos, because that's who's and actually not Laos. Laos was not in the regional region that I was in. I happened to go there separate. Uh -huh. um, but you had to have country buy-in for any official messaging. And you could do that faster on a regional level than you could do on an international level. But it, you just had to be aware of very different politics coming out of India and that group than I had been used to coming out of the U.S. and looking at a a completely global um, perspective on things because there you get your power players involved much more heavily when you're looking in the regional office, you're looking at regional power players. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm curious, I guess with a, such a large organization, sometimes when you're dealing with a bureaucracy of that size, it's so hard for things to move. And I, I guess when I approach organizations like that, I just tend to get overwhelmed with, you know, how difficult it is to get things done. Is that a feeling you walked away with or did it maybe even work a little more efficiently than you'd imagined? 
Well, India also has the reputation of having a fair amount of bureaucracy. So the combination of the two is kind of impressive. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually surprised in several ways. One was how the information on the ground moves up through the organization. Is that each step you have, generally you're talking about, let's say, tuberculosis, you'll have people who are in one country who are working on tuberculosis in that country. Um, I met with some people who were doing that in, who had been doing that in Laos and they're actually within that disease, pretty closely connected to the people in the region. Mm -hmm. And then the regional office is fairly connected within that disease to the national office because they're actually getting their statistics to and from And so for that disease, it tends to be pretty coherent. When you get to overall health, it's much more difficult. You Mm -hmm. can think of there are programs specifically looking at HIV, specifically looking at tuberculosis, specifically looking at malaria, but you don't necessarily have as much communication across those different diseases as one would like within a specific country depending on the size of the country, you might have everybody who's working on those things know each other and be able to interact really well. But you might also have that they're sort of situated in different places because there's more malaria over here. There's more tuberculosis over here. So they really talk within their disease group as opposed to on health in general. So you'll get good malaria drugs or good TB drugs in one area of the country, but you'll be missing standard medications for other diseases that are also common. Mm-hmm. And, I, and when, I guess that that's an approach that has been heavily criticized over the years to have things so siloed. Correct. And there are people who are trying to change that. But like you said, it's a big organization. What, how that will happen will be very slowly, if at all. And once you get to the communication side of things about what is happening, what are we doing, That's another area that moves really, really fast. You can't have a a segment of the WHO come out with an announcement without the communications team knowing it and being aware because they're the ones that actually understand Mm -hmm. how quickly journalists want to hear back on something. Like a scientist will say, oh, well, maybe I'll I'll present this report and it'll be fine. I'll be on vacation the next week, but it won't be a big deal. Or I'll answer my phone. I'll be available by by phone, but that means that they're available for like 15 minutes between experiments or something like that. And and needing to have someone who can respond to to journalists who are looking like now on deadline to tell this story in in a thorough way mm-hmm. is really interesting because science and such a large organization do move slowly. Uh-huh. It's not. And working with the communications teams there, I was part of. How do we get, we know this scientist is having this report come out. How do we get them available so that media people can actually talk to the scientists, even though there's going to be time zone differences because they're currently in XYZ and all of the people that this is going to affect and want to hear about it as news are in ABC and just trying to connect those dots was, it, it was always a challenge and now being on the the journalist side of it, I'm like, oh come on, this has been, <laughs> you know, you're, you're kind of like, you know, screw the time zones. I just need to talk to him, you know. 
film now. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's interesting, I think, just how something so basic, like, you know, people being time zones apart can be um, such an issue when, when you're thinking about, you know, stories and how people frame these stories and stuff Maybe like that. appreciate scientists and physicians who are willing to make the effort to say, I understand you're a journalist. I will take the time right now because I'm not making my time available for the journalist. I'm making my time available for the story that is very much of interest to my patients, my population, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that is a hard jump for people to make if they're not thinking about it. A lot of scientists don't feel like they need to talk to journalists because, well, my paper that was published said everything that really needs to be said. And I don't want to be in the limelight. I don't need to be on TV. That's not what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. I need to be available. But to be able to explain things in a way that people understand, you do need to be available. And, and journalism is the way that we have that you get that access. So taking time going, no, I'm going to take the time. I'm going to be available now, not in five hours makes a huge difference in getting a good quality medical story out. And a lot of people don't register that. So you've already spoken to this just a little bit, but I wanted to um, push you a bit more on it. So the fellowship's focus is on global health and media. And I wanted to know how your uh, view or understanding of global health, which I guess is a term that uh, has been been criticized by some has been too overly broad in general. How has your view of glo- global health changed from looking at it through, I guess, a mostly medical lens to now when you've been looking at these issues in a more media-focused way? I don't think I've actually really looked at global health as solely a medical thing ever. Um, I, my understanding is that part of why the change went from really we used to talk about international health and before that we talked about tropical medicine. Uh, the part of those changes is sort of trying to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Initially, the Brits uh, established tropical medicine institutes because they wanted to go figure out these diseases like malaria that were preventing our explorers from figuring out what was happening in such and such areas. And then as it as people began to explore more places than just the tropics by people i mean you know white people uh began exploring more places than the tropics it became international medicine and it was really about medicine over there and in part how do we keep our people from here healthy when they go over there but part of it was also how do we help them those people mm-hmm. and the idea with with global health is much more about recognizing that we are we are all connected, mm-hmm. be it a lot of my work back in Minnesota is with refugees and refugees for the most part are really healthy. They don't get their refugee status to come to the U.S. Uh, very easily. It tends to be young people who don't have chronic diseases, who haven't been as as badly affected by their general living situation as other people. So it tends to be a lot of young, otherwise healthy people. Mm. And part of what includes health for them is, you know, mental health care because of the things that they have gone through, as well as just how to adjust to a new society. Mm -hmm. How do you get access to 
you know, how do you figure out this healthcare system? How do you get, how does the grocery store work as opposed to what you were used to back home? Those sorts of things and how that connects with you know, Minnesotan culture and helping someone through that counts very much as global health, even though I'm not looking at a specific disease um, and trying to treat that. I do some of that because there are things that are different, but the other thing is that what the best things you can do for health around the world are not going to be things like finding someone with tuberculosis and giving them appropriate medicines. It's going to be clean water, sanitation, education, appropriate development, and doing things in, in a way that helps people make their own choices and do things in their own culture appropriate manners, as opposed to, an outside group coming in saying, this is how you do it to be successful. Mm -hmm. And being a doctor really gets you a foot in the door. Anywhere I've been, people have been very happy to have a doctor come by, Hmm. but very rarely is what I'm doing actually medical. It's not the stuff that I was trained in in med school. It's a bit more on public health, but a lot of it is also on economics and development and those sorts of things, those are what people have questions about and how to do and how to get around. And I have no training in that. Mm-hmm. But being a doctor, they're willing to welcome me and see me as caring about them individually, as opposed to a economist or development person who's coming in to you know, make money off of them, mm-hmm. which how to bridge that. I'm not certain yet, but what I, what I can do is because I have my foot in the door as, as a doc, I can tell their stories and try and tell their stories in a way that is relevant to them as well as relevant to a world audience. That, that makes a lot of sense. What, what do you see the role of, um, social media and all of this? And I guess over the last couple months, you know, what's sort of been the emphasis on that for you? Has it been something that's been heavily emphasized, particularly now that you're at NBC News? How do you see that playing into all of this? That's a really good question. Last year's fellow did a lot more like open tweeting than I have done, in part because using social media, there are many different ways to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tweet relatively rarely, but it's a great way to watch the news and to see other people's comments on it and get a sense on how people are responding to what's happening as opposed to just the news report on it. So you get a very different picture when you look at how you, you sort of get to hear the individual voices in a crowd listening, listening to Twitter <laughs> um, than you do just reading the news reports or seeing, uh, seeing a group, protest something you you lose a lot of the individual voices just for the sheer normity of it and twitter is huge but it's also very clearly individual voices and that's fun being able to see that and see the response people get i think a lot of it is that feedback and really getting to hear individual voices that wouldn't otherwise be heard and i have the ability to get myself heard. So I don't feel the need to speak 
as loudly on social media, I feel like really my point on there is to listen, hmm. which isn't what most people would say when they talk about social media. Yeah, no, I think it's a, a, a counter view uh, for someone in, in media generally, but um, it does, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think we see a lot of journalists um, using it sort of as the new newswire and mm-hmm. almost like, you know, what the Associated Press used to be, and just kind of watching for things that come through. Very true. Very, very true. And you can see how something impacts people even before it's made in you know, the cover of whatever, the New York Times or something else that brings it to national attention. Because anything that we see makes national news. It's affected people already. That's why it's newsworthy. Mm-hmm. You're now at NBC News, um, working with Nancy Steinerman. What, what's that like to be in New York and to be with, you know, someone who's a fairly high profile, um, you know, medical journalist? It's been fun. I, I was a little worried when I started that it was going to be, uh, like the Devil Wears Prada, <laughs> <laughs> which thank God it hasn't been. <laughs> just, just because of, uh, did you think, Nancy Snyderman was uh, was that kind of personality or just it was one of those like I I very much saw her media persona and I didn't know what she was like behind that uh-huh. and I knew that I was going to be working closely with her and it's so nice she's another midwestern gal so we get along quite well <laughs> oh that's great where is she from so oh I know this and I'm blanking she's so, somewhere in the midwest I guess Nebraska this is very bad. I sh- I actually know this by heart, and I'm just blanking because I didn't get enough sleep last night. Um, <laughs> That's okay. It happens, and I'm sure it's, it's a <laughs> click away on Google, so we can we can all figure it out. But she spent a lot of time at different places in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it's been interesting because I sort of expected to be a researcher here to some extent, and that I would l- get to learn through the news, sort of by seeing it done, not necessarily by being a fully active participant. And that's just not the case. Like I am very much a fully active participant, uh, which is, which is, it's been a good surprise. I didn't expect to have as much respect from other people within NBC as I have. Mm -hmm. Part of that is because of being a doctor. The other is like I said, when I got there, I was pretty right on as far as what was medically newsworthy. And when it comes right down to it as a physician, if you can explain it to a bunch of you know really smart journalists in a room in a couple of sentences, that's going to make news and that's going to be important to individuals listening. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I couldn't do that, then I probably wouldn't be as involved as I am now. Sure. And, and so how much longer are you at NBC and then what's, what's next after that? I leave in June and I go back to Minnesota. So I have two more years of residency. Okay. Uh, and then I'll be both a pediatrician and adult internal general, generalist. Um, and I think that that is more important than I realized. I really missed seeing patients during this time. It's been good to have the experience of in order to find my stories, I have to go out and find them as opposed to having them come into my clinic. Mm-hmm. But I, that's really why I wanted to do this is because of the people that I encounter in medicine. 
And in order to do a really good job of interpreting medicine, the very first thing I have to do is be a really good doc. So getting back to that, getting fully accredited um, is is really important to being able to really make any sort of difference in medical journalism, in my opinion. Well, I think that's a perfect note uh, to end on. And I guess it sounds like um, you'll be back uh, treating patients for a while, but you never know. In the next couple of years, we might see your byline or see you on TV somewhere. And yeah, it's just been so fascinating to get your insights, um, you know, from this experience and, and until this point. So thanks, Christina. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, be sure to check out the website, watchpangea.com. That's W-A-T-C-H Pangea, P-A-N-G-E-A.com. There you can learn a little more about the show's background, listen to older episodes, and uh, subscribe through email or iTunes.